Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Toby Bronzowski, who's co-founder and chief strategy officer at Llamasoft. And today we're going to talk about tariffs, trade, and the global supply chain. Now, supply chains face you know, many uh, risks and disruptive forces uh, you know, today. And one of those that, that's in the headlines, uh, it, you know, particularly today, is the threat of new tariffs on the global arena. Now, why should supply chain executives care about this new threat? You know, what actions uh, should they take to respond effectively uh, to, to this threat? And you know, what, uh, what, what capabilities are required from a people and technology standpoint you know, to make sure that uh, you know, they're able to respond and adequately address all the different what-if questions that companies should be looking at today? Well, those are just some of the, the questions we're going to address in today's episode. And uh, it's great to have Toby back in the program who is on the front lines of, of this topic day in and day out with, uh, you know, there at Lamasoft and with the companies and customers that he works with. So, Toby, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adrian. Uh, so, so, Toby, like I said, uh, you know, a lot of discussion today uh, about the potential for a trade war, uh, you, know, uh, you know, based on the tariffs that the U.S. has threatened to implement against China and other countries. And then, of course, you know, those countries are threatening to, you know, uh, implement retaliatory tariffs on us. Um, First question, I mean, what, why does this matter to supply chain logistics executives? Well, you know, supply chains are pretty complex systems, even in the, you know, the, the best of times. Uh, you know, there's a, there's, it's, you know, a lot of partners and they're all over the place, right? Uh, it, it's not like it was even, you know, 20, 30 years ago where you basically had a lot of the supply chain under your own control. It seems like more and more of it is, is outsourced. And it is, um, you know, from, from the sourcing to manufacturing and even the, the customers themselves that you're serving are in, you know, a completely global market. And as a result, things are moving across borders. And uh, when things move across borders, they're subject to costs. And, you know, when you're, when you're managing and, and executing a supply chain um, or a business for that matter, I think one of the biggest costs that just about every business has is the supply chain cost. And, you know, if you're going to stay in business, you have to be profitable. And so these supply chains in many cases are, you know, a, a really kind of fine balance of all of these different elements, all the different costs, right? There's, there's costs around your labor and your, your sourcing and your logistics and, um, and all of those different things. And so anything that, you know, fluctuates or, or varies um, can, can mess with your margins, can mess with your profitability. And, you know, even things like just up and down fuel costs and, and, you know, commodity prices or currency valuations, you know, just minor things like that sometimes can, you know, take the supply chain that you had balanced and optimized and put it out of whack. And then you add something like a 20, 30% tariff uh, on top of that for, you know, some of your major supply. And, you know, you can imagine uh, what kind of panic that, that causes. You know, I, I think I, I love that phrase. You know, it's, it, it is a delicate balance, right? I mean, because you are trying to balance. Obviously, cost is such a big, you know, factor. One of those elements you're trying to fact, you know, balance. And, and there's so many uh, components to cost, right? There's labor, there's sourcing costs, there's the tariffs mm. that we're talking about here. There's taxes, you know, uh, raw material costs, transportation costs. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got to balance that with, you know, the service requirements, which is becoming more and more challenging, you know, for companies today. And, and then obviously quality and, and, and everything else. And, you know, you, you, you work so hard as a supply chain executive to create that perfect balance in terms of determining, you know, where are you going to put your, where are you going to source from, where are you going to locate your manufacturing facilities, where are you going to put your distribution centers and so forth. 
and then something like this happens, like a threat of, of tariffs, and if and when they get implemented, can throw that whole you know uh, balance off, and you're kind of back to the back to the drawing table, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mean, what it does is it, you know with this one along with anything else, when you run supply chain, it's like constantly these these questions, right? These what if questions of well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if we introduce this new product? What if we decide to go after the e-commerce uh, market? What if we decide to offer next day service, right? Or, um, you know, and then there's just these new things like what if this tariff actually, you know, is implemented? What is that going to do for me? And so, um, you know, the, the thing that's interesting, I think, for um, customers is how do you address all those questions? And how do you do it in, in, in a rapid enough pace that you can actually stay ahead of them or at least... Um, respond, um, you know, at a pace that is on par with your your competitors. And so, you know, really, what this has led to, um, which which honestly has benefited us, is um, the idea that you really need to have a digital twin, like a digital model of your supply chain, really that represents that physical operation and all the complexities, right? All the policies that govern how that um, supply chain runs, all of the different costs associated, who you're sourcing from, where you're stocking things, where you're making them, where your customers are. And if you can do that, if you can have a, a near real-time or a real-time digital model that kind of shows you what's going on, what you have is a sandbox, right, where you can experiment um, and, and try new things and test out, um, you know, the impacts of any of these changes and see, you know, what's going to happen and predict that uh, in the digital world without you know, being exposed to the risk of actually doing it uh, or actually being, you know, impacted by it. And, and so I think that that is, is really where companies are, are moving towards is, you know, you know, putting this type of a, a business process and, and a, um, you know, a capability in place. So, so it sounds like that's kind of the first step is trying to, you know, kind of create that digital twin, if you will, that sandbox that you talked about. But, but it seems to me that, you know, gathering the, the necessary data you know, for companies to then create that digital model of their supply chain is, is a big challenge. I mean, that's, that's always been kind of that, that whole data quality and gathering data. You know, is that your experience? I mean, and how are companies overcoming this challenge? It, it is the challenge everywhere. It's the, um, you know, it's the billion dollar uh, solution that, uh, that everybody is looking for. Yeah, the, the reality is, you know, you have so many different systems to help you you know, execute and run your business, right? So you have ERP systems that are kind of the transactional repository for a lot of the, you know, the key orders and, and um, you know, product information and, and all of these attributes about your customers and suppliers. Like you have CRM systems to even add on top of that. You have transportation management systems and warehouse management systems that help you kind of execute the supply chain, right? And, um, and then, you know, on top of that, you have all of these third-party reference databases that are helping feed you information like, um, you know, like tariffs and, and global trade management requirements and all that stuff. And so it, there's, there's a ton of different systems. Um, it would be great if somehow, you know, years ago, somebody had come up with a global standard for everything, but that doesn't exist. And, you know, even two people that are both using the exact same, uh, you know, SAP, uh, ERP footprint or whatever, they're implemented completely differently. And within any organization, the idea of just having one of those is is pretty unique, right? So I think the, the main thing that, that takes up the most time with, with our customers and everybody else is coming up with a mechanism in a way to have as close to a single source of the truth as possible, right? A consolidated, blended view of that end-to-end -end supply chain. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, we 
you know, set out some 15 years ago to create some technology to help people model their supply chain, right? And we created this data model that represented all the different elements within the supply chain. And we found that every time somebody went through the process of creating a model, it was like eye-opening and they could see, sometimes for the first time, they could visualize the, the operations, they could see how things were flowing, they could see historically what they had done. And um, it was, it, it's, an, it's a lot of heavy lifting, but if you do it right and you, and you focus on this not being a one-time process or one-time project, but a, a continuous process, you do things a little bit differently. You focus on the master data management and the plumbing and the ways in which you blend that data together. And if you do that right, what you end up with is something that can be pretty much continuously refreshed from all these different systems so that you have now that place to go to as a reference. Yeah, so, so it sounds like, you know, and this is going to lead to my next question, you know, really mm -hmm. talking about the, the role of technology and people and all this, but from a technology standpoint, you know, obviously technology has continued, you know, to, to evolve and certainly the, the, the tools that are available today and kind of the approaches that companies are taking today from a technology standpoint is facilitating, if you will, uh, this data problem, right? In terms of being able to bring this data together, cleanse it, have a, you know, this whole master data management yeah. you know, approach to things. And now you've got things like APIs and you've got, uh, uh, you know, just a wider variety of data sources out there, more real-time data that's also coming into mm -hmm. all this. So, so I think it, it, it sounds like, you know, that if you architect a solution right and leverage some of these, um, I guess for lack of a better term, data aggregation and cleansing tools effectively, mm -hmm. you can get to that data problem that we talked about, you know, much more effectively today than you could, let's say, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. And what we found, what's, what's kind of fascinating to me is that, um, you know, a lot of our customers, they, they went on this journey where the first step was just, hey, I, gotta, I need to create this model. I need to solve a specific business problem, whether, it, you know, they're going through an M&A or they need to quickly reduce working capital or they have an expansion plan that means they're going to run out of capacity at a certain time. They just need to address something. You know, there's, there's an event-driven approach to to having to redesign the supply chain. Um, but, but then when they answer that one question, they realize, well, there's five others that are right behind it and, and the list doesn't, doesn't end. And so then they start to go back and they say, I don't want to do this whole thing again because that was so painful. And so they, you know, they come up with their own, uh, you know, through heroic efforts and uh, a whole mix of different technologies, ways to, come up with this consolidated, you know, blended source of the truth. They'll stand up a SQL database and they'll use a bunch of access and SQL queries and they'll use ETL tools like, you know, Informatica or something, or they'll set up a SharePoint drive to, you know, give people access to the information. They, they do all this stuff using all kinds of uh, different technologies. And, and when we looked across our hundreds of customers and we started to do assessments of this, what we were realizing is everyone was just, a little bit different. They were all going at the same problem, but they were doing it differently. And we kind of said, you know what, this is an opportunity, right? <laughs> there's, there's something that's still missing. And so, um, you know, in order to do that, we realized there was another level of technology, you know, data blending and data consolidation and, and visualization that was needed. And, you know, for us to do that on our own with our own kind of, um, you know, growth trajectory and resources, we couldn't do it, which is one of the reasons why we took on um, an outside investment. We thought we had an idea. We thought we had the basic uh, building blocks to make it work, but, you know, we didn't have the capital to make it happen. And so that was where, you know, we, we put some money to work for us. We had some, some really good investment resources. And, and, you know, a few years later, we're now bringing, you know, this platform to our customers and it's, 
it's amazing like how quickly you can shrink the time between question and answer if you can just solve that one problem and do it in, in a way that is you know kind of sustainable as opposed to these kind of um, you know patchwork skunk work projects right I mean I think what I, what I find very interesting is and I think part of the reason why in general across supply chain domains you know this whole data quality or data management piece has has always been a challenge is it's not for lack of a better term it's not really sexy right I mean it doesn't mm -hmm. get the same yeah kind of uh, attention as a specific application type, right? A transportation management system, a supply chain design solution, right? Mm -hmm. A warehouse management system, you name it. I mean, those are the applications. That's what people put RFPs for, right? That's what people are buying, right? We're not realizing that, you know, the, the, the Achilles heel or the, the foundational cornerstone to make those applications really work effectively, you've got to really address that data management, that data quality piece, you know, first. and and I think, you know, fortunately, I think today, I think uh, people in the industry are, are kind of recognizing that. Kind of to build on, on the technology piece, I mean, I think getting now towards the uh, kind of the sexier applications, if you yeah. will, you know, the supply chain design and network optimization and so forth. I mean, I think that the, one of the, I think there's a lingering perception because these applications, these solutions deal with such, com you know, complex questions and problems is that, you know, you need a PhD in operations research or, or mm. mathematics to you know, to, to leverage them effectively. And I mean, is that perception, you know, a reality? And, and from a people standpoint, I mean, what, what's the typical background of, of the people using yeah. these solutions today? When, when, when I got into this um, industry, that was, that was the norm. And there were a lot of companies, the ones that were the leaders were the companies, you know, and you could, you can name off some of them that were the more recognizable, whether it be an HP or a P&G or a Kimberly Clark, or, you know, some of these guys that had these, um, these operations research, you know, R&D groups that were building their own applications that were solving really complex problems, um, you know, uh, the team of data science scientists. But what's fascinating is that the pace of change and the amount of volatility in the market um, that has been occurring has been basically, you know, requiring a different approach because, you know, to, to be a... Um, you know, a, a data scientist and to be presented with a problem, you're going to sit there, you're going to think about the problem, you're going to take the tools that you have, and you're going to build a solution, you're going to build a solution to solve the problem. But there's, there's a, there's a time and there's a latency associated with that. And the solution that you're building might answer that one problem. But can you then, you know, publish that out to the business users and make it accessible to them. And then as the, as the questions change or evolve, can, you know, are those data scientists the ones that are going to maintain that application and that system and make it, you know, something that is, you know, continuously updated with new, you know, technologies and everything else. And so there's been a, a major shift in the last few years towards this more flexible kind of app-based approach to analytics where you still have the underlying hardcore algorithms and, you know, include optimization and simulation, you got a predictive and prescriptive analytics, right, as well as new machine learning algorithms and artificial intelligence and ways to, to you know, comb through all the data that's there to identify trends and, and solve problems. But then what is, is happening is there's a, there's a layer that goes on top of that. Like if you've been able to consolidate the data, you can then leverage all those analytics, but then you can create a user experience that sits on top of that that is, you know, more of a, a simple either app-based or browser-based that, that people are, you know, used to using, right, in, in a warehouse or, you know, on their, um, in their desk or whatever to solve a specific point problem. 
And, and what we're seeing is there's this evolution towards um, you know, putting those analytic solvers and those, those hardcore um, you know, data science uh, kind of algorithms to use for the business user you know, through this um, you know, app-based approach. You know, I, I think I've seen that across the board in terms of, you know, over the past few years and, and this focus on supply chain, uh, I mean, uh, user interface design, yeah. right, to make it much more uh, intuitive, user friendly, um, and, and really aligned with kind of the consumer applications that we use day in and day out. I mean, mm-hmm. if we look at some of the things that uh, we use in the consumer realm, very easy to use, but there's a lot of complexity, a lot of stuff going on in the background that, you know, yeah. we don't see. And I think you know, I guess to make a simple analogy, I mean, I think that's, uh, if I heard you right, that's kind of a similar type of thing that's going on, you know, in this, this uh, you know, the, the supply chain design yeah. realm where, you know, the, the, the approach that you take to it, the, the way you uh, uh, work with the tool, it's much more uh, intuitive for a business user to use and be able to ask those what if questions and do the analysis because all the, all the complexity, if you, if you, if you will, which is still there, it's kind of built in the, it's in the background running but doesn't necessarily need to, you, you don't need to go in there and do any coding yourself, if you will. Right, right. So like with our, you know, with a data model, like you, you bring in all of this end-to-end data from, you know, where you're sourcing to, you know, your manufacturing and some of the manufacturing processes and costs and, you know, your transportation, logistics and demand. And you put that all in a model and, and then you have, you know, like for us, we have a team of, you know, 30 OR PhDs that are writing these algorithms around, you know, identifying what is the lowest cost to serve for every, you know, skew customer combination or what's the, the ideal flow path or, you know, what are different ways in which you could, um, you know, identify the, the right sourcing decision that's going to give you the lowest landed cost, right? And stuff like that. And, you know, you're not going to give these complex modeling tools to the, you know, if you're, um, uh, you know, a, a retailer, you're 50 different merchandisers because that's not their job. Their job is to try to identify what are some unique products that they can put on the shelves and then try to figure out ways to source, you know, who do I source them from and what's the, you know, where should I offer them in the market? And they've traditionally had to use spreadsheets that are not overly accurate um, or they've had to then take an idea and then run it all the way through different business units to, you know, get their assessments on feasibility or cost. And if you have that model and it's a living model that you can go to to test these things, you could really quickly build an app just through, you know, for us, we're using the um, analogy of like the, um, the website builder tools that are out there. Like, you know, I'm starting a new business and I want to have a website really quickly. You know, I've got logged into like a Wix.com or something. And I, I take these widgets and I drag them and I say, hey, I want to have a, a logo here and I want to have my banner here and I want to have my customer, you know, uh, log in on this spot and you drag and drop these little widgets onto the onto the format of the web page and then you hit publish and boom it's live right and underneath that is, is a bunch of stuff that's happening like you said and we've taken that same approach with our design to say hey you can assemble your own kind of point solutions and apps that sit on top of the data model and sit on top of the analytics but again the users don't have to be um, you know advanced data scientists to use it yeah, it's a great, that's a great analogy. I mean, if I, if I look at even uh, our own website, you know, talking logistics, you know, it's built on WordPress and, and I am not a coder by any means, but right. I can go in there and literally within 15 minutes, I can completely redesign the look and feel of, of our talking logistics website, you know, by adding new plugins and mm-hmm. just dragging and dropping, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, components. And, uh, you know, the stuff is happening in the background. I'm not right. sure exactly what, but <laughs> it's fairly easy for me to and intuitive for me to kind of reconfigure the website, you know, relatively quickly 
and kind of we see the results there quickly. So, so, so I like that uh, analogy. So can you, I mean, you work with a lot of different companies across a lot of different industries. I mean, can, can you share some examples of how some of these leading companies are, are addressing emerging supply chain risks, you, you know, like, like these proposed tariffs? I mean, how are they organized? Mm -hmm. How are they using these tools? Yeah, I mean, th there's, there's dozens and dozens if not hundreds of examples because you see it every day because this is, this is what people live, right? I, I, just, I think about one um, in a last year's Gartner event, I think it was that, um, that HP, one of our customers presented, their, um, their whole, you know, what they call business continuity planning uh, um, system. And it was really two sides to it. One was first to identify all the potential risks and threats and basically sourcing all of this real-time feeds from you know, locations all over the place, newsreels and, and other kinds of feeds to, to do a triage to kind of say, hey, based on all this information that's coming in, if I can overlay that on top of my global supply chain, a lot of these things are location-based and event-based that are, you know, um, that basically might impact my business. Like for instance, uh, you know, lithium batteries may no longer be allowed to be air, you know, air shipped or something like that. That's something that it could have a major impact. You see that news feed coming in and it's something that might be coming in six months from now, boom, that bubbles up right away. And then it takes over to the other side of the equation, which was, no, now I got to model that. I need to figure out, well, what are my alternatives? What could I do differently in my supply chain to get ahead of this before it actually happens, right? So be very proactive in nature. I think that's one of the major things that we see as a, as a major trend is if you have this living digital model of your supply chain, you can be proactive. You can start to anticipate, you know, what are the most, um, you know, realistic threats to my business? Is there, what is the potential impact on that? You know, how vulnerable am I? You know, if like, for instance, if fuel costs go up and down by 25% in either direction, does it actually change? Uh, my answer and tell me that I need to now near shore versus, you know, offshore, or does it just mean that maybe I have to, you know, get a few more of my products, you know, more local or closer to my customer. And so what you see is, um, you know, companies that are um, really working on that, that living digital model, digital twin is, is a really good term for it. That's coming out more and more these days. You have that, you've got a sandbox now. And, and once you have the sandbox, it's, it's, you know, experiment, try, and then you can be reactive as well, right? When, when something happens that you didn't anticipate, at least you got a, a jump start. You know, you, you gave some you know, great examples there, which was going to lead me to my next question, you know, with HP, with, you know, you know, what if you can't, you know, ship lithium batteries by air anymore, right? You know, what if, you know, you're already seeing in the headlines, you know, oil, I think now is up to $70 a barrel, close yeah. to 70, right? It was, it was only a few years ago that it was above 100 and people were even talking about it going up to as high as 200. You know, so that, that's another you know, area. So, so my question was going to be, I mean, I, you know, we started the conversation talking about one of the things that's in the headlines today, you know, these tariffs and the impact right. on the global trade arena. But, but what are some of these other what-if questions that you know, you're, you're, some of your com you know, customers are, are asking these days? I mean, you gave two examples there. Any, any others? Yeah. Um, you know, another example is obviously you know, e-commerce and, and same day, next day shipping. And, and how do you do that? How do you compete with a company with the resources and, and the scope of an Amazon? Right. Um, and, you know, I think uh, Michael Kors was an example of another customer of ours that presented um, at uh, CSCMP last year. And, and what they were, you know, talking about was, you know, first of all, they were just 
they were, you know, rapid growth for quite a few years. They were, they were high double digit growth and there was always expansion plans and figure out where do I need to add capacity and all those things. And so they got into this whole idea of modeling the supply chain and creating these, these models to analyze their growth. Then suddenly things kind of flattened out for them, right? And it, it, they, they became a more mature product in, in a mature market. And at the same time, the market was changing towards e-commerce, even for high fashion, which was no, you know, previously not the case. And so they had all these stores, they had all this infrastructure. The first, um, you know, I, I guess the first instinct is, hey, anytime a new order comes in, let's just fulfill it from the closest store. Let's get it to the customer. We're going to guarantee, you know, next day service. That's great. You start to analyze what it costs to do that and, and actually the, the impact on the business because these stores aren't, you know, aren't set up to handle, you know, that type of a shipment. They don't have you know, storage and capacity in the back of the stores to even deal with inventory. And, you know, it was really clear that this was a great modeling problem, try to figure out what is the, what is the actual right mix, right? Which ones should be fulfilled centrally, which ones should be fulfilled from stores. And you see a lot of these types of changing market conditions that are, you know, driven by demand. Um, you know, other ones are simply, you know, the, the globalization as to, you know, markets that used to just be my low cost source are suddenly my highest growth customer markets and consumer markets, right? So it, your entire supply chain flips by, you know, 180 degrees. And now I'm trying to figure out ways to distribute and, and service um, as, as a customer base. And, and so a lot of the globalization and then just pure pressure to grow as a company, right? When you're a public company, you have to grow. If you can't grow organically, if the um, if the economies aren't supporting that type of growth, then it's down to you know mergers and acquisitions and other things. And and you you know we see a lot of people that are trying to get ahead of um, you know validating these these acquisitions and the actual rationalization that you think you're going to get right and the economies of scale that you think you're going to get versus what actually happens in in too many cases. So using modeling to really assess those things. I think there's a, there's a ton of proactive approaches that you can take. No, th th those are great examples. And the e-commerce one is, is one that I see a, a lot, you know, these days, just in this past year. I mean, I think there was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal a, a few weeks back, you know, talking about P&G and how they're, you know, undergoing a multi-year, multi-billion dollar, basically redesign of their whole supply chain network and distribution network to try to be within one day of all their customers, right? So mm -hmm. you know that they've had to do some sort of modeling simulation to really understand, you, you know, that impact and, and before they made that investment. Uh, and then just, I think a month ago, I was at a, another conference where Home Depot, you know, same thing, you know, doing multi-year, multi-billion dollar, you know, investments to redesign their supply chain network again mm -hmm. in response to e-commerce and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the need to be, be able to ship faster, smaller quantities in a more time definite, uh, arena, you know, moving away from this, uh, you know, full truckload once a week to right. now LTL, partial, direct to consumer, direct to the builder, mm -hmm. uh, you know, much more time, uh, you know, much quicker time frame. So again, another example, I think, you know, I think it's obvious. So I would assume that they had done some modeling and simulation mm -hmm. here to make, you know, those types of decisions and, and investments. Yeah. Um, so, so Tim, we're running short on time here. So I'm just going to go mm -hmm. right to, to my last question. As, as a way to wrap up, I mean, how would you complete, you know, the, the, the following statement? Your supply chain organization will be in the best position to respond effectively to whatever changes or events occur in the future if what? If you have a living digital model 
of your end-to-end -end supply chain that you can go to to ask these questions, you know, experiment, uh, try things out in a, a relatively risk-free environment before you deploy them. You know, it's a, it's somewhat self-serving, but it's it's the reality, right? I mean, if you can if you can experiment and and try things out without the risk of failure, um, you know, and, and see what's going to happen or help predict, you're going to be in much better shape. You know, I, I you, you know, it boils down to like the simple advice you always share. You, you, you know, if you do your homework up front, right, mm -hmm. you're able to respond more intelligently and quicker than if you're caught, you know, flat-footed. I mean, that's basically what I tell, you know, companies that I talk to, you know, as well. If today you're asking all these what-if questions, right? So what if, you know, you know, going back to e-commerce, right? E-commerce is about 10% mm -hmm. of retail sales today. What if or when retail mm -hmm. sales reach 20% or to 30%? You know, right. what will our supply chain network look like? And be able to start doing those models today, run those simulations, you at least then have some options and have gone, thought through it that you can start making some, uh, you know, intelligent decisions. And same thing with these, you know, when, when this whole topic of the tariffs, you know, came up, you know, my comment was, hey, companies have been looking at this because this was not news, right? This is news right. now, but this has been right. talked about, particularly during the, the election, right? That this yep. was, if he won, mm -hmm. if President Trump won, he, he was talking about these things. So if, if two years ago, companies started saying, what if, you know, a new administration mm -hmm. comes in and what if a new administration decides to put tariffs? Yeah. If you started doing those what if analysis two years ago, I think those are the companies that today are in a much better position to, you know, respond more intelligently, more, more uh, efficiently than those that are all of a sudden now trying to figure out, you know, uh, ask, ask those questions. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Toby, like I always say, you know, we always manage to scratch the surface on these mm -hmm. topics. Uh, but I think we covered a lot of ground today, a lot of great insights and advice. So thank you for making the time to be with us today. I appreciate you having me. Great. Well, I thank those of you that joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, uh, either at the Llamasoft website or on Talking Logistics, and you have a question or comment for Toby, uh, you can post it there. and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.